couple things is, uh, uh, before we jump in here, uh, number one is there's a membership class that's happening right now. So if you, if you think this is the membership class, the membership class is actually up there. And uh, you can make your way up there where, where Pastor Shea is. Secondly, if you're new here, thanks for coming. Thanks for being here and, and uh, choosing to worship with us at Redemption Hill Bible Church. And we want to connect with you in any way that we can or any way that you would allow us to and be able to serve you. So if this is your first time here, second time here, welcome. And uh, it is our, our normal practice to spend um, time in God's Word, studying the Word of God. And so why don't you grab your Bibles, all of you grab your Bibles and turn to, to 1 Peter. Last week, thank you, Dave, for preaching the Word of God. For those of you who were here last week to hear Dave preach on the second coming, uh, thank you, Dave, for your faithfulness to do that and encouragement to us to keep our eyes uh, on Christ. He is coming back, and the next time he comes back, uh, we need to be ready for that. And so uh, thank you, Dave, for, for preaching the Word to us. We're back in First Peter, and we are down to our final three outs, um, if you will, uh, in, in this book. We've got three messages left. Um, as we finish 1 Peter chapter 5, and then uh, we'll go right into 2 Peter after that. Uh, and we've been studying the last few weeks on shepherding. We've been talking about pride. We've been talking about humility. Uh, we've been talking about anxiety and casting our cares upon the Lord. And all of this is in the greater context of suffering that was happening to the recipients of this letter. We always want to remind ourselves of that, of the, the greater context of this letter was written to those who were suffering, and then we jump into kind of more immediate context with each of the chapters that we get into, and that, that is shepherding and pride and humility and anxiety, um, and those are things we want to remember even as we jump into this next passage here, and this next section here, or excuse me, this next verse here, verse 8, 9, and 10 has to do with the devil's roar and the believer's response. The devil's roar and the believer's response. Let's read it together and then we'll start uh, to explain what it has to say. It says this, let's start in verse 6. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a, like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same, times, the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you to him, be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The devil is on the attack. He is clever. He is relentless. He is formidable. He is fearless. And he is seeking someone to devour. And Peter tells us right from the start in verse 8 to be sober-minded and to be watchful. To be alert knowing this, that the devil is out there on the prowl. He is not caged in right now. He is on the move and he is seeking someone to devour. And in God's perfect communication to us, he gives us this command right on the heels of asking us to humble ourselves. 
He tells us to humble ourselves by casting our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us. This is the antidote to anxiety, to fully trust in the sovereignty of God. And as we go to the Lord in prayer, as we cast our cares upon him, as we cast our anxieties upon the Lord, he gives us the strength. He, he then exalts us, but Peter doesn't stop there. He says, also now, be on the alert because you have an enemy who's trying to stop you from doing that. Be watchful. Peter knows this, that the enemy does not want you to trust the Lord. The enemy does not want you to cast your cares upon him. The enemy does not want you to be humble. The enemy wants you to be anxious. He wants you to be prideful. He wants you to sit back and think that your suffering is too great and you can do nothing about it. That's what Satan wants. He doesn't want you to be vigilant. He doesn't want you to be alert. He doesn't want you to go to the Lord in prayer. And once we go to the Lord in prayer, once we cast all of our cares upon him and, and it's, it's told there that he cares for us, once we do that, we then effectively place ourselves in the position of being fired at by Satan. You could say like this, the crosshairs are on your back. The devil is prowling around. He's using a loud roar to frighten the believer into apostasy. He wants to scare. He wants to intimidate. He wants you to think that you are not in the loving care of God the Father. He wants you to doubt God. You say, Joe, why is this passage so important to us this morning? Why, why should I pay such great attention and careful attention to verses 8, 9, and 10 in my Bible? Here's why. Because you have an adversary who is against you, who hates you, and is trying to lure you away from the faith. But you have a God, in verse 10, who is a God of all grace, who is going to confirm you, establish you, restore you, and strengthen you. Satan wants to make you a trophy on his mantle of another one who gave up on God and chose the path of sinners. Satan desires to destroy you spiritually, get you depressed, get you discouraged, cripple your faith. He wants to devour your faith. That is his goal. That is his mission. And he will not stop. And so Peter, Peter starts out in verse 8 and say, hey, says, hey, uh, you need to be sober-minded. You need to think clearly about these things. You need to be alert. You need to be vigilant. You need to be watchful. This word there, sober-minded, it has the idea of a calm and collective spirit. You need to be self-controlled well-balanced, clear-headed. Keep yourself free from excess, free from evil passions, free from rashness. Don't do anything that would cause your mind to be intoxicated. To be sober-minded then means that you don't freak out about things that are happening in the world today. Well, what are we going to do? Everything's falling apart. I have no control of, of the future anymore in my life. You stay sober-minded, church. God's in control. 
Be clear-headed about these things. Have a theological grid by which you view all that is happening in the world. It is through the lens of God's mighty power. It is through the lens of what we talked about last week, that God is going to return and redeem his people. Everything is under control. Church, stay sober-minded in these days. Clear-headed. Focused. Well-balanced. Disciplined in the mind, mentally strong. You cannot be weak in the head right now. You need to be sober-minded. Then he says, no, not only that, not only do you need to be sober-minded, but what else does he say? You need to be watchful. Together you could say this, what Peter is asking us to do from the start is, is for us to be vigilant in these days. Be vigilant. Be on the alert. This word there, be watchful, you could say it like this, be in a constant state of readiness. In a constant state of readiness. You're alert to avoid danger. This word here suggests intense watchfulness. You're keenly alert to what's happening around you. You know that there's trouble and there's danger ahead. You're watchful and you're ready to respond. You're focused. You could say it like this. Peter is saying this. If you want a, a, a different translation that maybe is clearer, it is this. Stay awake. <laughs> now is not the time to get spiritually sleepy. Now is not the time to, to allow your mind to drift off spiritually away from God and away from God's word, and he's going to tell us why, because the devil, your adversary, is seeking someone to devour. Satan's vigilant. Satan's watchful. The enemy is ruthless. The enemy is on the pursuit. And Peter says, don't get comfortable. Don't think in your humility that you can get comfortable now. No, he's saying this. You need to be sober-minded. You need to be watchful. Peter would understand what that word watchful would have meant because at the garden, Jesus asked his disciples on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he asked the disciples to sit back and pray, to be watchful and pray. What did Jesus do? He went and prayed and he came back and were they watchful and did they pray? No, what did they do? They fell asleep. Peter would have known this. This would have been on his mind when, it, when he even gives this or exhortation to the people. He would have thought back even himself to, to that night where Jesus asked him to do this, and, G, and Peter failed to do this. To be on the alert. To always be ready. To never take a day off spiritually. And he tells us why. Why is this so important, church? Look at what it says. Your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion. And what's he doing? He is seeking someone to devour. He is seeking someone to devour. There's three things that I want to show you this morning, kind of by, by way of heading, just to help us understand this, uh, this passage. The first thing I want to show you is this, the description of the devil then I want to show you the intimidation of the devil. And then I want to show you the action against 
the devil. Those three things, the description. Then I want to show you the intimidation, the fear tactic that he uses. And then I want to show you how to resist him, as it says there, or the action against him. So first, let's talk about this, the description here. Look what it says. You can kind of pick out, there's, there's a number of different words he uses here for, for the devil. He says, your adversary, that's one, the devil. And then he gives us a, an illustration here of the devil or, or, or of a roaring lion. What is an adversary? He says, your adversary. An adversary is this. Uh, it was first used, this word was first used as an opponent in a lawsuit. It then came to mean an adversary or enemy without reference to legal affairs at all, but it describes one, listen closely, it describes one who is actively and continuously hostile towards someone else. Actively and continuously. An adversary is one who contends with or opposes or resists someone else. You can say this. An adversary is an enemy, someone who is constantly against you. This adversary is clearly stated there. It is the devil. He is continuously against God. He is always against Christ. He is constantly battling against the Holy Spirit, and he is against every single believer. He hates everything about God. He hates everything about the work of Christ. He, thinks, he hates everything about the cleansing work of the Spirit within the believer, and he hates the witness of Christ that you show amongst other people. He is the enemy. Now, some of you don't like having enemies. Some of you want everybody to like you. You're like, yeah, I pretty much live for the day when everybody will like me. And some of you are like, I don't mind having enemies. I mean, really, I don't. If people don't like me, people don't like me. Well, here's the thing, church. We're all in this together. We all have an enemy. We don't get to try to convince Satan to like us. He won't. He is our adversary, constantly contending against us every single day. There are many names for Satan in the Bible. Let me just read some of them off to you. If you guys want to try to keep up, you can, but here's, here it is. He's called Satan. He is called the day star. He's called son of the morning star. He's called the anointed cherub. He's called the devil, the tempter, the ruler of demons, Beelzebub, the enemy, the evil one, father of lies, murderer, ruler of this world, God of this age, angel of light, Belial, ruler of the authority of the, of the air, the angel of the abyss, Apollyon, Abaddon, the destroyer, the dragon, the old serpent, the deceiver of the whole world, and here he is listed as a roaring lion and our adversary or our enemy. Who is Satan? Who is this enemy? Well, the Bible tells us this. The Bible tells us that Satan was once the most beautiful angel of them all. Satan succumbed to pride. He said, hey, I want to be like God. Why does God get to be God? I want to be God. He decided to be God, and God, because of that, removed Satan out of the heavens, and Satan took with him a third of the angels, fallen angels, demonic angels. 
Satan would be the commander and leader and the chief of these angels, as he would deceive them. And Satan uh, would be removed from heaven, and he would be destined for eternal hell, the lake of fire. Satan and his angels then, because of this, they've been removed out of heaven. They have been placed under uh, the wrath of God and with, with wrath to come without no opportunity for repentance, no opportunity to turn. Because of that, they are seeking to destroy God's most precious possession, humanity, mankind. So Satan is hard at work to destroy that which God has created, that which is in the likeness of man. And he goes into the garden, he deceives Eve, he deceives Adam, sin enters into the world, and Satan thinks, there's my opportunity. Sin is now entered in the world, and through sin, death now reigns in the world. Momentary victory for Satan. Sin has plagued humanity. We are filled with sin. We are now under the curse of sin and, and death. And because of original sin, every man who is born begins as those who are part of Satan's flock. And Satan thinks, hey, I've got momentary victory. Sin is in, has infected the whole world. But Christ comes. He goes to the cross. He dies for the sins of the world. He breaks the curse of sin. He defeats it. And as God chooses each man to come to him, he is plucking believers out of Satan's flock and bringing them, as it says, as Peter says, out of the darkness and into this marvelous light. Understand this, church. There's only two sides. There is no middle ground. There is no blurry middle where you belong. You are either on one side in the domain of darkness or in the domain of Christ and the light. And Satan is against anyone who God has plucked out of the darkness and placed into the light. Anyone who says, I will follow Jesus Christ. Satan is against that man and he is he is always and forever going to try to deceive you into thinking that his team is better. That's where all the fun is. That's where all the enjoyment is. That's where the satisfaction is. It's in sin. I want to show you this. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 2. We got to see this in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm not, I'm not making this up. Ephesians chapter 2 says this. Verse 1. And you were what? Dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, doing what? Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Where did we all start? We all started dead in our trespasses and sin. Not kind of alive, not maybe alive, but entirely dead in our trespasses and sin in the darkness. 
among whom you, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature, what? By nature, that's why I said original sin, by nature, children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. Thankfully, there's a verse four. <laughs> Thankfully, it doesn't stop there. What does it say next? But God being rich in mercy, what? Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when, just a reminder, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And raised up to him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And one by one, God is calling his own to be moved out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. In fact, in Acts, in Acts 26, it even, even talks about this very thing. In Acts chapter 26, in verse 16, or sorry, in verse 19, it says, Therefore, O, o King Agrippa, I was not disappointed, disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, here it is, that they should repent and what? Turn to God. Repent and turn to God. You say, why is it that Satan cares so much? Why is it that Satan is prowling around like this? Why is it? Because he is an angry, bitter spirit that is totally against Christ, and you love Christ, and therefore he is against you. Because he once owned you. And now he doesn't. Because he once held you in chains by your sin and your love for sin in the world, but, but now you love Christ. And so now he is on the prowl and he is seeking someone to what? Try to lure back to his fold. He's trying to deceive you. He doesn't want you to follow Christ. He doesn't want you to love Christ. He doesn't want you to believe. He doesn't want you to cast your cares on him. He doesn't want you to be humble. He doesn't want you to be effective for ministry. He doesn't want you to be a minister of the gospel to get more and more people out of his fold and into Christ. He doesn't want that. He wants to discourage you altogether. Satan hates all that Christ does. So what does Peter call him? He says, here in 1 Peter, he says, it's your adversary, he's your enemy. We understand now why he's our enemy, why he's our adversary. Now what does it say next? He, he's the devil. What does that mean? Well, well, he's an accuser. He's a slanderer. That's what that word means. It's, he, he wants to destroy your character by using false statements. In fact, this word diabolos here is where we get the word for gossip from. Satan is a constant gossip, a constant person who is trying to lie about who you are to you, make false statement, make false charges, false assertions, trying again to be the one who is getting you to think that it isn't worth it to follow Jesus Christ. And how does he do this? He does this with intimidation. Look what it says. The devil, the slanderer, the evil one, the false accuser, what is he doing? He is prowling around like a, like a roaring lion. Secondly, I want you to see this, the intimidation of the devil. 
Because that's all he can do, is all he can do is intimidate. The intimidation of the devil. What is, he, what is he doing? How does he try to lure people away from the faith? It is with this. It is with the roar of a lion. In 2007, I had an opportunity to go to South Africa for a, a missions trip with a, with a guy by the name of uh, Brian Biedebach. I don't know if you know, know Brian, but he was down there and, and doing a missions trip. And I was, I was there for, it was like almost 20 days down, down in South Africa. And what we were doing is we were building a roof on, a, on an AIDS orphanage. And if I had anything to do with building the roof, there's a good chance it's not standing anymore. Let me just say that, okay? I mean, I was like the encourager guy. Like, hey, you can do this. Do you need a hammer? Let me get you a hammer. Do you need a nail? How many do you need? You need four more? Great. Here's four more nails for you. I mean, that, that was my role, all right? We had a lot of fun doing it, too. Uh, but we were there, and, and we were able to do this. And at the end of the trip, we had the opportunity to go on this, this safari out in the middle of, of, of South Africa, and it was incredible. And the whole time, you're like, I hope I see a lion. I hope I see a lion. You didn't see a lion. You saw a pumbaa out there, and you saw some other animals uh, uh, out on this safari. But one of the things they did is they took us to a, a lion refuge. And this was out in the middle of nowhere, and it was a, 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 a caged-in area where you could go in, and they would take these, these baby lions who, were, who, who were, uh, weren't making it. They were you know, injured or whatever. They'd take them in, and they'd, they'd nurse them back to full health and do everything they could to get them back into the wild. And so they had all these different cages. You had the baby ones. You had the teenage ones. You had the full-grown ones all in this massive, massive pen. And so they let us into it, and, and they said, hey, do you want to hold a lion? And I was like, what size? Okay. What are we talking here? He's like, no, you can hold a baby lion. And I was like, well, sure, yeah, of course. Of course I want to hold a lion. And those of you who know me, I'm not a huge animal lover, but it's a lion, so I, I think I can do this. And um, so they, they take this baby lion, which its paws were like the size of my hand. I mean, this is a baby, and it's like the paws are like the size of my hand. And they hand it to me, and I take it, and I drop it. Like, it just falls right through my arms. I mean, just like, boom. And I was like, maybe I don't want to hold a lion. I don't know. I, maybe, I, maybe I actually don't. Uh, they picked it up and eventually I held it and, and it was great and whatnot. But that night, we're still there and it comes nighttime and all of a sudden, all the lions get hungry. And they're all caged in and you're there and all you hear is pacing and roaring of these lions. It's back and forth and you're thinking, I hope those guys are caged up, right? That, that's what you're thinking. Back and forth and the roar is mighty and it is loud. And it, you, you can hear it from great distance away. And this is, this is what he's getting at here is these, these lions here. While we were there, these lions here, they were angry and they were hungry, what we call hangry. Some of you are getting there, right? You're like, okay, wait. You're like, I know what that means. My spouse gets, gets that way. These lions were hungry and they would growl and they would roar. Satan is angry, and he is bitter, and he is upset, and he is looking to devour. He is hungry to find and search someone who does not place their faith in Jesus Christ on a day-to-day -day, day -day basis and resist him. 
He is on the prowl. He is moving left to right. And listen to this. Satan isn't trying to scratch you. Satan isn't trying to claw you. He wants to devour you. He's a roaring lion. And listen, this roar that it says here, he, he, is, he is like a roaring lion. He, it's designed to scare you. It's designed to intimidate you. It's designed to frighten the believer. And what, what is this roar? This roar is this. It's suffering. It's anxiety. This roar is your own pride to intimidate you and to consume you into thinking this, I don't need God. Satan knows this. He can't touch you, but he can intimidate you. He can't actually take you and pull you away from the fold. He can't do that. How do I know that? Because verse 10 tells me that. But he can certainly intimidate you, church. He can certainly scare you. He can certainly cause doubt within you. And he's going to use, listen, he's going to use your anxiety against you. He's going to use your suffering against you. He's going to use your hardship against you to where you get to the point where you say this, God can't handle my sins. God can't handle my problems. God can't handle my addictions. God can't handle my marriage, my conflicts, or my job. And in fear and intimidation of Satan, you begin to think there's got to be something better than this. And you think, I'm just going to reject God. I'm going to walk away from the faith. God doesn't care. God doesn't see what I'm going through. God, you're not powerful enough to break these addictions in my life. God, you're not powerful enough to remove this sin in my life. You're not powerful enough to remove the burden in my life. If you were, you would have done it. And over and over and go over like a drippy faucet, over and over, Satan just keeps roaring in your ear. God's not enough. God can't satisfy over and over and over and over again. What is he trying to do? He's trying to intimidate you. But I want you to be reminded, look, church, be reminded of this. There's a contrast here. Look at who our God is. Look at this. Trust scripture. Read it. It says this, that God opposes the proud, but what? He's a giver. What's he a giver of? He's a giver of grace to the humble. Who is God? He, he is a God who has what? He has a mighty hand. Our God, what is he? He is one who exalts and he lifts up people. Who is our God? He is a God that cares for you. And then he contrasts that. He says, okay, that's who God is. Who is Satan? Satan is what? He is what? He is the devil. He is an adversary. He is a manipulator and a liar, right? That's what that word, he is the the devil. What is he doing? He is trying to destroy you. There's a clear contrast here. He's manipulating you. Trying to get inside your head to get you to doubt God. Listen, Satan doesn't have new strategies or new tactics. This is the same one he used in the garden with Eve. Does God really care? Does he really know? Did he really say? 
what he said. It's the same. And so maybe for you, it, it may be this roar of the lion of, uh, of Satan that, that is saying this, that my suffering is too great, it's overwhelming, I can't handle it, I'm going to turn to alcohol. It's too great, the suffering, I'm going to turn to pornography. It's too great, the suffering and anxiety in my life, I'm, I'm going to turn towards success, I'm going to be driven towards more money and success, I'm going to, I'm going to run down that, or this suffering is out of control, so I'm going to turn to social media where I get to control my friends, I get to control who likes me, I get to block whoever I want to block, I get to post the videos I want to post, I get to post the pictures, I, I get to control my life in social media, I'm going to run to that, I'm going to run to video games where I can just enjoy what I want to enjoy and, and totally leave reality. Totally abandon God. That's the practical side of this church. Abandoning God for another reality, another world that's not even reality. Abandoning God for sin. Instead of taking those anxieties and taking that suffering and taking that hardship in your life, and what did Peter just tell us to do with it? Cast it on the Lord because he cares for you. And if you don't cast your anxieties on the Lord, Satan will use it against you. He will use it to intimidate you. He will use it to lure you away, to try to get you to abandon God. This is the roar of Satan. This is the way he intimidates the believer. I know for many who are, we saw what happened in the news just re- recently with a, a bill that came out. I can't remember when it was, but it, it can cause many to fear the future. The Washington State bill that would strip parents' rights to intervene on their, their kids' medical care. Senate Bill 5599, maybe you've read up on this a little bit. It allows host homes for one-way youth to house youth without parental permission. These host homes don't need to notify parents about where their kids are or if they're getting any medical intervention. They call it a protected health care service. It's also gender-affirming care. It's gender-affirming treatment that can be prescribed in, to two-spirit transgender, non-binary, and other gender-diverse individuals. It gives minors affirming care, which include puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and surgeries. These children can run away to these homes, and these shelters don't need to tell, their children, tell them where, they're, where they are or what they're doing. So instead of contacting the parents... The shelters contact the Washington Department of Children, Youth and Families instead. This is evil. And the people who passed it are evil people. The people who affirmed it. This is a roar of Satan to intimidate you, to cause you to go into hiding, to cause you to fear the future. This is a scare tactic. 
using the same things for us to think, is God really there? Is God really going to return? Is God, is God care about these things? Is God sovereignly in control? And to begin to question your faith. We're reminded in Ephesians 6, 12, where it says this, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, that this battle that we are in is a spiritual battle. And Satan is pulling all the levers, and right now he's just having his way, just pulling one lever after the next. Let's just do this and this. And it's like he gets to do whatever he wants. There's no moral compass anymore. And we need to be reminded this is the lens by which we need to see things, right, church? This, this is what I'm talking about. This is the, the biblical lens by which we see this. Satan is trying to intimidate believers. He's trying to scare believers. He's trying to, these are fear tactics of him. This is the mighty roar of Satan to get you to think that God doesn't exist, that Christ cannot save, and that you're placing your faith in something that doesn't actually exist. And to give in. Number three, let me give you this. What is the action now? What is the action against the roaring lion is this number nine or sorry verse nine number nine we would not be on number nine by now it would be like two weeks down the road okay we are we are on number three verse nine it is this resist him firm in your faith resist him firm in your faith what is the answer to the these mighty roars and scare tactics of satan it is this to stand or set against him. Stand firm to oppose. While we cannot take the offensive against Satan, we can stand the ground and face his attacks. Listen to this. Cowardice never wins against Satan, only courage. Cowardice never wins against Satan, only courage. And so we must resist him. Let me just say one more thing too. It does not say, and there's a lot of things Peter could have said in this moment. It does not say come up with some seance or some sort of jibber-jabber uh, type of uh, unknown tongue or, or known tongue to cast Satan out. It doesn't say anything like that. I mean, this would be a great place to insert something like that if that's how you're supposed to deal with Satan and demons, but it doesn't say that at all. It's very clear. The way to stand up against the, the schemes of the devil is this, is to resist him. Stand firm what? In your faith. Stand firm in your faith. So how to resist the devil, number one, one is this, be firm in your faith. You must be rock solid in what you believe and your convictions about who Christ is. You must be a convictional Christian. Not just that I kind of know what the Bible says and I kind of believe what it says. No, you must have convictions about what you believe and why you believe it. You must be firm in what you believe. You must have that faith here that is a personal confidence in God, a confidence in his word, a confidence in his promises. The Christian will be enabled to stand fearlessly firm against the roaring lion 
Only if one leans wholly on Jesus' name, standing on the promises of God. We actually have this objective truth to battle Satan. Not some thing we make up. We have objective truth. We have faith. Thomas Watson says this, faith is a grace that Satan which does Satan most harm. It makes the most resistance against him. Be careful, watchful, watch out for the attacks of the devil and the great enemy. He prowls around like a lowering lion looking for some victim to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. No grace more bruises the serpent's head than faith. It is both a shield and a sword, defensive and offensive. It is a shield to guard the head and defend the vitals. The shield of faith prevents the fiery darts of temptation from piercing us. Through faith is a sword which wounds the red dragon. You must be firm in the faith. You must know what you believe and why you believe it. Guys, this is why we spend so much time understanding theology. Because that's what is used to defend yourself. Five ways to fix your life won't do anything against Satan. Eight ways to make you happy and movie reviews will do nothing against Satan. Understanding and being convinced of what the Bible said is the only chance you have against Satan. And so that's what we equip you to do. We don't try to bind Satan. We resist him. We don't run and hide. We don't go hide in our homes. We stand firm in our faith that Jesus Christ is the conquering king and the conquering Lord, and at the end of the day, he wins. Say, how do I gain confidence in my faith? You gain confidence in your faith by continually going back into the word of God, by studying the word of God, getting yourselves in a Bible study, getting yourself in the word of God, growing in your confidence of God. That's how you grow your faith. That's how you stand firm in your faith. We're going to hit stand firm again uh, in in verse 12. It's going to tell us again what to do. It's to stand firm in it. We're going to hit that word again. But let me just touch on it. I'm going to be a little appetizer on it. We stand firm by knowing what we believe and why we believe it. We resist the devil. Standing firm in our faith. Secondly is this. Be encouraged by others. Look what it says. Be encouraged by others. Knowing what? Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the whole world. What is he saying? He's saying this. You guys aren't alone in this. We're together in this. We need each other. There are no maverick Christians. There are no Christians who aren't associated with the local church. Every Christian in the Bible that had a church went to church because they knew this. They couldn't stand against the the roaring lion by themselves. We need one another. We need fellowship with one another. We need to be constantly together with one another, encouraging one another. Why? Because we're all going through different kinds of anxieties and sufferings at different places and different stages, and we need one another. Why? To stand against Satan and his intimidation. And we're reminded that we're not the only ones. 
People are being experiencing this all throughout the whole world, and we've been encouraged. That's why you guys are here on Sunday mornings, because you need the encouragement of one another. You need to see other people and say, okay, yes, that person is for me. Yes, that person loves me. Yes, that person cares for me. Let's sing songs together about who Jesus is. Let's hear from God's word. Let's be encouraged. We need one another. Now's not the time to isolate. One more thing. Let me just touch on it in verse 10. I want you to see this with me. Verse 10. After you have suffered a little while, what does it say? The God of all grace, who has what? Who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. What does that say? Here's what it says, just real quickly, and then we'll talk about this more uh, next week when we're together. Satan is going to seek to attack you. Satan is going to seek to intimidate you. Satan is going to do everything he can to lure you away, but he's not going to win. He's not going to be able to. You're safe and secure in the arms of God. You're an overcomer. We, we, we studied this in John 10 about Jesus. Does he lose any of his sheep? Has he ever lost a sheep? If he loses a sheep, what is he? He's a failed shepherd. He hasn't lost a sheep. He's never lost one. He keeps every single one of them. So here's the thing, church. You ready for this? You win. You win. And you win because Christ has won for you. You don't win because you're superior than somebody else. You don't win because your faith is so awesome and amazing and wonderful. No, you win because Christ has won on your behalf. And you are more than conquerors. So let Satan do whatever he wants to do. He's not touching you because you're in Christ. Let him roar as loud as he wants. You're in Christ, church. You win. You say, well, what is my responsibility? My responsibility is what? Resist him at every opportunity that you can. Stand firm in the faith. Be a witness against him. Let me show you one more verse. I, we're, we're so out of time, but one more verse. Just bear with me. I have to show you this. It wouldn't be right if I didn't. Turn to, turn to Romans 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. I know you guys are ready for your second cup of coffee or breakfast. I don't know, but... Just be hungry for this right now, okay? Chapter 8, verse 31. What was this in mind? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies, it's God who condemns. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? What is he talking about? No matter the suffering that you go through, no matter the anxieties that you have in your life, no matter the difficulty that you go through, nothing will separate you from God. Satan won't beat you. 
Then he goes on, he tells us what? For your sake, we're being killed all the day long. Because it feels like. Like we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, that's not true. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. It's through him who loved us. And in this wonderful verse, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things that come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have won and you have conquered and defeated Satan. Thank you that the most intimidating roars that Satan could could unleash at us, to scare us, to try to lure us away from the faith. Lord, we know this, that you are going to keep us. That the God of all grace is going to hold us tight in those times and in those moments because we know this, we're going to fail. We're not going to cast our cares upon you. We're going to try to do it ourselves. And we're going to try, and say he's going to try to lure us away from the faith, but you're not going to let it happen. And in that love and in that knowledge to know that we are more than conquerors, enable us and encourage us to stand firm in the faith, to to resist the roar of Satan. And to press on, firm in the faith, encouraged by all those around us, to continue to be a light in the midst of darkness, continue to worship you and to love you, knowing that nothing can separate us from the love of God. In Jesus' name, amen.